And three, two, one. Welcome. Welcome to the Better Than Yesterday Everyday Podcast, where we cover anything related to behavior change that will increase your long-term wellness and happiness. And now here are your hosts, personal trainer and RNs, Matt and Jenna Lane. What is happening, ladies and gentlemen of the world? Welcome back to the Better Than Yesterday Everyday Podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Jenna. If you're new to this podcast, this podcast is all about implementing behavior change for your long, long-term wellness and happiness. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all of those platforms, click the description below because there is a video version of this podcast that's happening right now. So go check it out. Jenna, how are you feeling over there? Good. This is a, it's going to be a, a good talk, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm nerding out today because <laughs> um, a fellow online personal trainer, uh, his name is Galam. We have him on the, the podcast today. By all means, good sir, say hello. Thank you for having me, Matt. How you doing? And Jenna, how you doing? Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on today. We're excited to talk with you. So, yes, there's a pandemic going on right now at the time of this recording and when this is released. But even had that not happened, uh, my guy is in Canada right now, so uh, it would have been difficult to do this regardless yeah, of a so pandemic. Yes, so we're practicing safe social distancing. Yes, so uh, <laughs> super happy to have him on. Um, long story short, Glam and I met in this course that he and I both took, and it was a bunch of personal trainers, you know, trying to work on their business effectively you know, become a better personal trainer, uh, deliver programs and all that together. And um, I kept seeing him on these calls and they were actually Zoom calls because we're looking at him as we speak uh, through Zoom. But I, you know how you just get a vibe about someone? Mm -hmm. Like you just, you just get a vibe. Some people you don't, you never see him again in your life. But this guy, for some reason, I was like, private messaged him. Hey, bro. <laughs> I know you're into this fitness thing too. You want to like be friends? Like, and uh, lo and behold, yeah, he, he actually did answer my DMs. But uh, what's interesting about him is he is a personal trainer, but he specializes in diabetes, diabetics. And I have a lot of questions for you selfishly uh, for my own knowledge because I, I have not trained a diabetic. And I, I have dealt with uh, diabetes in the hospital setting as a nurse, uh, but I haven't you know, outside of like an acute care setting. So I have a lot of questions today that I think is going to bring a lot of value. Yeah. So let's start with, just give us your background. Where are you going right now? What? At the top of it, at the top of the show, we always hit you with our gratitude point. This gratitude point is something that you can think of off the top of your head, which is what we do. It's to shift your perspective that even in the middle of a pandemic, there's something to be grateful for that can shift your perspective to things could always be a little worse. Why are you looking at me with this just, just disdain? Because you rambled on so long we forgot about the gratitude point. I didn't forget about it. You forgot about it. <laughs> you want to go first? No. Oh, fantastic. So a few years ago, whenever I started the company, Matt Lane Fitness, I was feeling this gravitational pull or this void as I verbalized it to you. And I know, I know you were there and you heard me talking about it before it started. I knew there was something that I was being pulled towards that void or that gravity. And I'm very grateful that I, that I had the foresight to feel that, to see that and went after that. So I'm thankful for the gravity or that void that fitness wellness pulls me to. I really am. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like it. Right? Yeah. Um, so the thing that I'm grateful for today is um, having the opportunity like today. And we had a live uh, on Matt's YouTube channel last night. And the opportunity. What are you doing? I'm changing the lights. Go ahead. <laughs> To just still socialize with people, even though we're not able to let go see people in person, we yeah. we still have that unique opportunity because of what you're doing online to still interact with people and have yep. that socialization and not feel so isolated. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. Yep. Totally agree. Galam, if you have one, man, hit us with it. If not, no pressure, no biggie. Yeah, I do. I, um, I'm a little bit well prepped because I do uh, a gratitude journal every morning. So awesome. I'm always- for three things in the morning and i think the one that i think would be more most impactful right now is uh i wrote it down this morning was uh um the ability to take a breath yeah without any issues because right now everybody that's suffering with the with the covid situation they're drowning in their lungs right yeah i think the fact that we can take a full breath without any issues without even thinking about it yeah breath after breath is a blessing right now yeah Yeah. grateful for that Yep. I totally agree. It's so pertinent. And you're right. We take it for granted. Like just right now, like do it right now. If you're in the car, if you're driving, take a deep breath, just press pause. Okay. You back? Like, how was that breath? That's great. Right. All right, Jenna, let's start. Let's go. Let's dive into it. You want to start off? All right. Now, please give us your background, how you got into online training, why uh, specifically training diabetics. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so um, I've been in the fitness industry for about eight to 10 years, and I got into it accidentally, actually. Um, it was actually around the time when I was in high school, I used to be kind of chubby. And, uh, you know, uh, in the summer times, I used to, you know, spend a lot of time outside not doing productive things. So my mother decided to <laughs> tell me to get a job. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my neighbor at the time, he was a contractor for uh, building high schools. And he used to be the foreman for the plumbing section. So I started working with him. He got me a job. I used to work 17 to 18 hour days, seven days a week, uh, two months at a time. Used to make quite a bit of money. But during that process, I lost my weight because there's a lot of labor, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I started to get a little bit of muscles coming in. And I was like, hey, this is nice. That's pretty cool. The next year, I decided to take an exercise science course and learn a little bit about working out. Did the construction again. And ever since then, I kind of just really liked the way my body looked. And I never wanted to lose the progress that I made because I knew the hard work that I had put in to get there. Mm -hmm. Since then, it had become a lifestyle. I kept doing it. And then, you know, naturally, when you do something like that, people start asking you, hey, like, what did you do? What are you doing? And then from there, um, I took a complete shift and I went into uh, theology. Uh, It was a weird time in my life where I wanted to find myself a little bit more and you know, figure out more of the, you know, what the purpose is. And mm-hmm. I studied theology for four years, different religions um, at a university. And then I figured out, okay, I think I want to go back to my calling of, you know, I was always, I've always been fascinated with the human body, the fact, the way that it functions on its own, the way that it does beautifully and the grand design behind it. So then I went to university and I took kinesiology and exercise science. And then I specialized in exercise physiology in my last year in a fitness stream 
which was beautiful because I got the chance to uh, get a contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is the hockey. Well, yeah, we know. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> Bro, oh my lord. Okay, first of all, he said theology. Now he says Toronto Maple Leafs. If you're new to the show, we're big fans of hockey. So I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but we got either another podcast or you got another long ass phone call with me, my guy. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah. So uh, I got a contract to do that and I did the fitness testing for all 64 players in the roster. So that was huge for me. Wow, um, yeah. and then that opened up the avenue for athletic training. I finished my exercise physiologies um, certification and diploma. And that's when I got introduced to chronic diseases and, mm. um, you know, all different types. But what stuck out the most to me was diabetes. And this is part of the reason why I decided to, you know, specialize in, and start specifically working with diabetics is because uh, it's very close to my heart. My, my mother is a diabetic. She's a type 2 diabetic. She's been a type 2 diabetic for about uh, 12 to 15 years now. And all I've always wanted to do is figure out a way to help her so that she can, you know, get rid of the disease and she could be along, like she could be alive long enough to stay here for me. And, um, you know, for my kids, I have, a, I have a big boy on the way. So congrats, congrats. I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, this is my selfish reason and I just focused more on it. And ever since then, after that, I got into the field, I started uh, coaching clients, uh, training in person and I've trained for about six to eight years now and I've trained everybody from all walks of life from kids to athletes to um you know the elderly everybody in between hypothyroidism hyperthyroidism type 2 diabetes asthma congestive heart failure you name it so I had a big broad uh exposure to the general population and then I realized there was something missing because the the clients would come in and out of the door and they wouldn't really have as you guys have the theme for this podcast a sort of behavior change that allowed them to sustain the progress that they have made. So I realized there's something missing then the every day you come in, you train someone in person for one hour or three days, three hours a week, and they leave. Uh, there's the whole mindset and the whole behavior growth change that's missing. So that's when I decided to look into online. And I realized that through online coaching is where you can offer that at a very grand scale, which actually leads to actual behavior change that allows them to not only get results, but sustain them. And that's how I got into to the online training last year ago. And since then, I've just been doing full-time online because it's just been so much more impactful and so much more fulfilling for me. That's awesome. Heck yeah, man. So not going to lie, that's a that's a fairly unique story that that's how you stumbled into it. Jenna and I were talking before we got on the, on the show and we were going to ask this specific question assuming maybe you were a diabetic and that's what pushed you into it. But you know, that's not the case. So very, very interesting, your path. Um, and with, with ultimately your, your, your mom as well. So interesting story. Interesting. Yeah. For me, what happened was, um, I, I'm predisposed to it right genetically mm -hmm. because of my, my mother. Yeah. Um, so I do have like a very slight scare in the back of my mind. You know, I don't want to get, it. I, I've also been very confident that I wouldn't because I'm just so active. Um, but I really realized when I started helping my mother, um, and when she dropped her blood sugar levels to normal, um, I, as soon as she told me, I just started to, you know, I got, I got really emotional and I wasn't I'll expecting bet. that. I'll bet. I'll bet. And, and I, and I, that's when I realized, okay, this is, this is not just something I say to myself. It's real because why would I get emotional if, uh, if it wasn't so close to me? And then I realized that, you know, the way that I feel, anybody feels about their mother or their father, you know, their, their family, 
Uh, I know everybody else that has diabetes feels the same way. You know, they have kids, they have spouses that feel the same way. So I want to be able to help them as well. If I can help my mom, I can help everybody else because, you know, working with a family member is different than working with someone outside. It's a lot harder to cause the age change when it's family members. So, um, so yeah, that's why um, I went into that route. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and to, to quickly sort of break down, you know, uh, a diabetic type one, you're born, you're born basically a diabetic, Diabe- diabetic type two is you develop it, correct? Just we're all basic, we're on yeah we're all in it right I know but a sure, quick a yeah. quick analogy for anybody that you know doesn't know yeah so so go ahead yeah go ahead, go ahead Jen. I was just gonna ask if you primarily work with type two diabetics or do, are you working with some type ones as well yeah so type one and type two you you're not necessarily born with type one you might have a like we they still don't really understand what right. what the immune autoimmune response for you to develop the type one. But mostly you develop type 1 in earlier adolescence. Sometimes you develop it later as well. But type 1 is usually developed a little bit um, earlier in your life. I don't believe you're born with it for okay. the most part. Sometimes you're born with it. You might have a disposition because if your mother mm-hmm. has gestational diabetes. Sure. Yes. But type 2 is something that you can develop. And there are certain cases where you're a type 1 and a type 2 together. So so there's a vast variety of uh, you know instances. But 90% of the population is type 2 diabetic there's only 10 percent that's type one i predominantly i actually only work with type twos um so that's how i do okay and how do you find your clients or how do they find you so um it's the content that i create um you know i try to create content that is reflective of um the, the 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 space that i'm working with it's also referrals um and just you know over the years of working with so many um, variety of people. Now that I've let people know that I'm doing this, they're starting to come into that space. And then obviously, you know, doing work like this, you know, educating yeah. and discussing and raising awareness. I was um, I was fortunate enough to be invited as a keynote speaker at uh, Ryerson University last month awesome. by Diabetes Canada. So I did a um, a lecture on diabetes there. So that was so you know just. Slowly, slowly starting to get more awareness. Very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah. And so I I don't know because, you know, you're, uh, you're, are you certified? Who are you certified through? So I'm, um, well, I have my, 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 my degree through your okay. university as an as, as a as a kinesiologist. Well, I'm not a kinesiologist. I'm not registered, but in kinesiology. Okay. Um, and I have my diploma of exercise physiology through uh, York University as well. Okay. Uh, through an organization called Health Fitness Federational, uh, HFFC. Yeah. So Health Fitness Federation Canada. Okay. Gotcha. Um, that, that was one thing I sort of wanted to touch on is, you know, like where your qualifications and whatnot. And we are going to plug all of his information, um, in the description below because we, we absolutely want, if anybody is listening and they struggle with, you know, diabetes and they're trying to work on their wellness, fitness, we absolutely want you to reach out to them. So, um, it, it will be in the description below and we'll have you plug it towards the end. But, um, again, I have just numerous, numerous questions. I think, I think when I think of diabetes, so again, the, the, the little that I know of diabetes is I worked in a ICU as a nurse and I dealt with very sick people with extremely high blood sugar levels that we had to actually use insulin drips to get the blood sugar levels down. Outside of that, 
I really did not work with, with diabetes that much. And in fitness, I have not worked with it that much. Uh, so there, you know, there's going to be a lot of knowledge from, for me here today. Um, I think the big, here's the initial big question. Are carbs the devil? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, well, it, it's, it's, it's tough to give a definitive answer, especially when it comes to diabetics. Sure. Um, ideally, yes. You know, if you're a diabetic and you have very high blood sugar levels, one of the easiest and fastest ways to reduce your blood sugar levels is to limit your carb intake so that your insulin doesn't spike as much so that the sugar levels don't go as high. But if you look at a macro level, uh, you have to look at the root of the disease and what we're trying to do here. Um, a lot of the things that I've that I've noticed that the the clients that I work with that face is that um, we all grow up in a some sort of culture that is you know carb heavy. Yeah, you just mm-hmm. is born that way. So that's like our default, right? So having said that, in theory, yes, you know you take out the carbs for diabetics, the diabetes gets well. The sugar comes down. The diabetes doesn't right. necessarily get better. There's a there's a there's a difference there. We'll talk about that. But you know, yes, they can do it. They can do it for maybe two weeks maybe a month, maybe three months, there's going to be a time where they're going to give up and they're going to, the willpower is going to come down and they're going to start to reintroduce cars back in and then it's going to be a vicious cycle. So there, there needs to be a balance. Um, I feel like the, I feel like the industry, especially the healthcare professionals, especially the doctors as well, they do demonize it a little yep. bit. Yep, um, I agree. And it, it, it creates this, um, this, this scary, um place for diabetics where they're actually scared of eating it yeah and they hate themselves and they feel guilty when they do and it's like a vicious cycle when it comes to behavior change yeah <laughs> it man. doesn't help so 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 i feel like a balance is important but what i do with my clients is is i i i, I teach them to use the carbs to their advantage so what you want to do is if you want to again you also have to have a balance but you also have to have um, some sort of self-control as well, sure. right? I feel like when we're when we're talking about food and we're talking about nutrition, we know what we have been taught and what we have been you what we're used to eating through our default setting of our families, generations, and parents. Because nobody really learns how to eat. You're not really taught how to eat. You just eat whatever is there. It's true. Not necessarily if it's good or bad, but you obviously do need control in that self-control. So what I do is I do tell them to that. Okay, yeah, you can, you should limit them, obviously. But if you feel like having it, try to have it before you exercise. So you can utilize that quick source of energy yep. and burn it up during your exercise and you're totally okay. Yep. And they, they monitor their blood glucose levels and they see, they get that positive feedback that, okay, hey, look, I ate something. My sugar went up. Okay, cool. No problem. Nothing to worry about. Let's exercise a little bit. They exercise for 30 minutes to 45 minutes and they see the blood sugar drop right away and they see that positive connection that, hey, Number one, I can eat carbs and it's totally okay. Number two, if I exercise, my blood sugar goes down and that's a really good thing. So exercise is important and it's good for me and I should keep doing it as a diabetic. So I, I help them depending on the person. And again, it's it's person to person, right? Everybody's different. You can mm-hmm. use the same approach for everybody. So that's also something that I use. But carbs are not the devil. Um, <laughs> they, they are definitely not the devil. I think uh, no food in and of itself or no macronutrient in and of itself is going to be bad or good for you. 
you have to be able to use a balance and understand what is happening with your body and learn about it because that's just a part of that's a process of that's a process of uh, behavior change and learning more about yourself and growth, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I that's obviously I'm not in your realm, but I love that answer. I love that because that's that's so what I push um, with my clients. You know, that balance piece is just huge, and and I did wonder, you know. And I've always said anybody that's ever asked me about diabetes, I've always been very quick to say, you know, I don't specialize in that. I'm not well educated enough to tell you. Um, but I, I have always believed that there's, I feel like it's probably a, a little bit different of a balance for a, a diabetic than a non-diabetic. Would you agree? Yeah, don't get me wrong. Um, diabetics should definitely adapt a low-carb diet. Okay. Definitely, because it is more beneficial to them. Especially, it depends on the severity of the disease and where they are at, right? If they're if their glucose levels are severely high, then they need to. That's going to be having a direct impact all over their their system on a, on a multi mm-hmm. multi level. So they need to reduce them fast. And one of the fastest ways to reduce them is to drop the blood sugar levels. But if you're a diabetic that has been managing their diabetes for some time, then you can play around with it more. But generally, yes, you would want to be on a lower carb and diet. But you can still eat carbs. It doesn't mean that if you eat carbs or you have that one slice of pizza and now your whole world is going to come crashing down. There's a lot of diabetics out there that demonize it in that sense and make everybody else feel scared as well. But the reality is before you even knew you had diabetes, you already had it. You just didn't know you were still eating that stuff and you were still alive. You're still working. You're still functioning. It's not having a direct impact yet unless your glucose is that high. If your glucose is very, very high, you will see physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. That is when things get scary. Yep. And if that's the case, you need more than just low carbs to help you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, in you know, that, I, th- I think this gets missed very often and you know that this is really popular in, in the fitness realm, keto versus low carb. First of all, do you think that keto is an answer to a diabetic prayers? So, um, I think that what often happens a lot is, um, see the industry, the way that it's going and the way that it's been now is that everybody supposedly wants to say that they have the answer yeah. and they present that they, they present themselves as, Hey, this is the one thing that you need to do in order to, you know, get what better in my experience and in my education and all the practical experience that I've had, every single thing works, right? Uh, a keto diet will work a low carb diet will work, a high protein diet will work, a paleo, anything you name it, um, they will all work as long as you are consistently following it. If you can stay consistent with it, it'll work. But if you're not consistent, nothing will work. At the same time, you also have to consider there's, you know, you can, you can know the most amount of information. You can have the best information, but if you don't have a way to get it in front of people and for them to actually take action, what you know is useless. So I feel like a lot of times that one thing comes in is that it allows you to get in front of more people mm-hmm. and for them to listen. Yep. So if I tell you, hey, I have this one secret, yep. this is going to cure your diabetes and it's intermittent fasting or it's keto or it's this, because I'm taking this one approach, you're going to listen. But if I say, hey, you just need to create a balance. You need to eat well. You need to be in a calorie deficit. You need to eat your fruits and vegetables. You're yep. going to be like, okay, what, like, tell me something. I don't know. I'm not going to. Yep. Do. Yep. Right. So, so in terms of comparing keto to, um, um, you know, intermittent fasting to low carb, 
at the end of the day, what's going to matter is you have to decrease the visceral fat, fat around their stomach, the, between their organs, the dangerous fat that is causing the inflammation and the damage to an increase in their insulin resistance. You have to decrease that. And the only way you can do that is to remain in a calorie deficit. Oh my God. If, so you can't see it, but I'm clapping right now. So, and that, that was going to be my very next question. Cause that's something that I'm so like, I look at, I look at fitness wellness, uh, when it comes to the physical body and whatnot in three, in three basic tiers, you know, that in, in order of importance, behavior change being on top, nutrition being second and activity, um, uh, being in third place, all very important, but it takes all of those to, to be well. And what I push so much, if anybody asks, what is one tip that you'll give me? I will say, do you know what your caloric maintenance is? Are you in a caloric deficit? You know, like, do you know what's going in? Do you have that caloric budget or that energy budget? And that was going to be my very next question. Is it a caloric deficit that's more important or is it that your carbohydrates are at a certain number for a diabetic? So um, it would be the caloric deficit. That is always going to be the most important thing. However, there are certain issues, there are certain situations that allow you to not be in a caloric deficit when you're a diabetic. Um, for example, the medications you're taking or the because yeah. okay. of the hormonal okay. changes, you might be in a position where you're just ex ex like sometimes, sometimes diabetics get these crazy, crazy, uncontrollable, like waves of they need to eat. Yeah. So if your hormones are out of whack, right, your leptin, your ghrelin are out of whack because of what's happening with your medications or just the condition itself, it's going to put you in a position where it's going to be way harder for you to be in a calorie deficit. You're going to binge. Right. Start and then you're going to be in a calorie, you're not going to, you're going to be in a calorie surplus. There you go. There you go. And then that's where that, there you go. There's where that balance comes, comes in. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep firing off if you, if you don't, cause I, again, I've got a list of questions here. You want to go? Uh, well, I guess thinking through like just what you just mentioned about medications, are you finding that um, your clients are really having to watch and maybe adjust medications as they're losing weight, increasing activity, uh, you know, eating fewer carbs, that sort of thing? Of course, um, it's a good question. So um, that is something that is that is that needs to be highly monitored and managed as you work with diabetic clients, because with diabetes, uh, there's always a risk of having hypoglycemic situations happen, which means that their blood sugar levels drop too low and then they can potentially faint and sometimes even die from it. So if you get into some diabetic ketoacidosis situations, which is also when the, um, that, that's another condition that could be very fatal for a lot of diabetics as well. I don't want to mm -hmm. get into the details of that, but when we're getting into the um, medication side of it, my goal for my patients is always to guide them in a sustainable way so that they can be off their medications. So we slowly work on a week-to-week -week basis, monitoring the things that they're doing, and we start to pull them off slowly, slowly, and we see what happens. If we pull them off too quick and they, the blood sugars level go too high, then we put them back on a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if they're sustainably keeping their sugar levels where they're supposed to be, we're starting to get them off the, the medications. Um, again, different medications will, will do different things. And most of the diabetic patients, they're already prescribed pre-planned 
prescribed through the doctors or the nurses that they've already seen. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing about diabetes is that, and the education system or the system that it works with is that the first response to someone getting diagnosed with diabetes is to automatically put them on medications Mm -hmm. without having any sort of secondary approach. It's just, okay, let's get you on metformin. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. First one. And then we, but what they don't realize is that this has a huge impact on their behavior change. Because what they do is they start to use the medication as an enabling enabling tool to allow them to not get better because they keep relying on it. Because if you talk mm-hmm. to any diabetic patient or diabetic, their medications, they don't ever decrease the medications. The medications continuously increase. That's it true. goes from 500 to 1,000 mg, yep. 2,000 mg. Yep. Then metformin is out of continuous, but now you got to get on another medication, another medication, another medication up until now you're on insulin. Yep. Yep. It's a lot of it is unfortunately um, run because of the pharmaceutical industry. And it's obviously all about making the money. So that's a huge aspect of that's a whole cloud of kind of warm. My Lord, man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you better block your number because I'm telling you, we got many more, (laughs) many more calls and podcasts to talk about. Go ahead. Go ahead. Of course. No problem. I love, I love to share this type of stuff. So, um, so yeah, so, so with the medication, yes, it does help. It does help to reduce their blood sugar levels, but it enables them to rely on it. So they're always just looking at it as, okay, I'm okay. My, my sugar levels are fine. You know, I'm taking metformin. But you can't realistically continue to eat the way that you've been eating and have the lifestyle that you've had and continuously eat more and more stuff that is not good for you and hope that the medication will do its job. There's going to be a point where you're eating more or you're eating the wrong stuff and now you need more medication to match that. And that's what ends up happening. But in their minds, they have in their subconscious mind, they have this, they have this assurity or this, um, I could say, peace that, oh, I'm okay. My sugar levels are okay because yeah. I'm, I'm having medication. But their diabetes is not getting better. If you're getting on more and more medications, what is that telling you about the disease? Yep. Yep. It means it's becoming more progressive. And it is a progressive mm-hmm. disease because... Well, I think anything is a progressive disease unless you take care of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so this whole notion about diabetes being a progressive disease with no care, with no, with no end at the end of the tunnel, no light at the end of the tunnel is is false. And this is the story that is told to them right away, and which is why they accept what they get right mm-hmm. away, and they just live the way that they're living, and they don't get better. Yep. So, and you know, we treat we treat symptoms. We don't treat the cause. And we don't, we don't treat the root. And that's where my problem has always lied with, you know, where, where healthcare falls down point blank. That's why I'm so drawn to fitness wellness because it's in your hands to treat the cause, you know, and it's these simple things that you're saying. And my next question is, do you feel like healthcare educates someone? First of all, do you think they educate them? And then do you think they educate them well enough? No, I don't think they educate them. I think they educate them. I think they try to educate them. I think sure. there's a lot of there's a lot of um, education, diabetes education programs that are out there. It's gotten better. It has gotten better. It's gotten better, but I think um, I think the 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 practical the practical work on the on the holistic side is a lot less than the medicinal yeah. side. Because they're not aware of, and I think a lot of behavior change is missing for them. So to be able to, this is where being a coach is different, you know, 
um, when you're the mindset work is missing. So you're not understanding where the person is coming from. Um, and you're just shoving things down their throat. Be like, hey, just take this and you'll be okay. And they'll be like, uh, why am I taking this? Right. What is it going to do to me? What is it going to do for my body? And they don't understand. And I think a person's ability, a coach's ability to break down things into the most simplest ways of understanding is one of its, their greatest strengths. So if you can explain to someone that a process is very complex and break it down to being very, very simple and they actually understand what's happening with their body, that is you want. Yes. Because most diabetics don't know what's happening with their body. If you're, unless you have a scientific background, like, you know, you're, you, you took bio or, or any sort of science courses, right. you really don't know what's really happening with your body. And up until mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening, how am I going to be able to, to work on it on a day-to-day basis? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. So, so for, for the education system, I think that, I think, I think it's important too. I think, I think medications are also important. Don't oh, get yeah. me wrong. I think there's a lot of instances where yep. the diabetes is so bad, you can't do the other approach. You have to yep. first go down the medication route sure. just to get their, their physical symptoms in check. Yep. And then we can start to wean them off eventually. So I, I definitely think there's a place for the medications. I don't, I don't want to completely take them out of the question, Agreed. but I feel like, um, I feel like the first thing that needs to happen is to really empathize with the patients, with, with the person that has diabetes, because for my mother, at, at least, I noticed that she, see, a lot of, a lot of the symptoms of diabetes is, is you're always tired. You're always tired. You're always lethargic. You have no energy. Um, and what that does, it paints this picture to the people around you that you're lazy. Mm-hmm. But they really don't know what's happening inside your body. They don't know that you have to have every ounce of you have to fight every ounce of your body, every every atom in your body to to fight yourself to get out of bed and do something as simple as you know cook breakfast or you know clean the house or whatever. But they're going through that struggle day in and day out, and eventually the narrative becomes that diabetes is a character flaw. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's not the case. So if you can empathize with them and let them know that hey, you are not the disease. This is something that you know, has, has, has happened over the span of years. See, diabetes doesn't develop over one day. The insulin resistance usually starts 15 to 20 years prior to your diagnosis of diabetes. That's a long time yeah. of your body trying to correct itself and it eventually doesn't and that threshold happens and then you're now, okay, I'm a diabetic. Yep. So empathizing with them and, and helping them understand that, you know, it's okay. You know, we have this situation that's there. Let's try to educate you what's happening with your body and let's figure out a way for you to get better because you can get better. I think that hope is what's missing. Diabetics don't get this hope that, hey, look, you can potentially reverse. I don't like to say reverse. Well, I don't mind saying it, but I get uh, heat for saying it. Yeah. Or going through remission, right? Sure. Like being able to be not a diabetic anymore, the, the blood sugar levels are okay. And you're able to maintain that. Yeah. I that would be a reversal <laughs> yeah. but, off medication. But, and that, and that's the point off of the medication, exactly. off the medication. Yeah. Your, your, your A1C is, you know, is good to go. That's, that's success Yep. because you can continue to maintain that and you have no issues and you put on 10 to 15 years on your life. Yep. So I think mm-hmm. that hope for them is huge for most diabetics. They're depressed. They don't care. They're yep. going to keep eating what they're eating. They're like, whatever, my sugar didn't go up anyways. I'm just going to have more medications. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Whatever. Yep. I'll just keep living my life. Whatever. Who cares? Because a lot of it is a narrative that they've been told or they've been, mm-hmm. you know, brought up with. Yep. Now that's what the story they keep telling themselves. Yeah, and it's very unfortunate because that that right there, 
that's truly not that person's fault. Like, mm-hmm. because they don't have that education, this diabetic, the newly diagnosed diabetic, they don't have that education. They were told one thing, and that's what they just run off with for the rest of their life. Like, it's it's unfortunate. They are almost a vic- uh, They are almost a victim of it. Um, and again, I'm not. I'm truly not pointing fingers. I'm I'm really suggesting how it could be changed, and that is what what you're doing. That is with behavior change. That is with balance. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing I did want to ask, because I know I think this would probably be a, a common question, slow digesting carbs or fast digesting carbs, you know, basically the difference would be, you know, a sweet potato versus table sugar. Have you found that those make a difference? Or do you try to implement that with your clients? 100%. That's a good question. Um, and yes, I do try to implement uh, slower digesting carbs. Um, I think that it comes into the area of the glycemic index sure. and you know what the glycemic index is for the, for the listeners that are watching or that are listening sorry, is that um, when you eat a, a food, it has a, uh, a response to the amount of uh, insulin that is spiked and based on that, the amount of sugar that is released or, or how high the sugar goes and the higher the goes, the higher the index is, and we want it to stay low. Yep. So there are certain foods that are, have a lower index, that are lower index that are lower on the glycemic index and there's certain foods that are higher so what the the general consensus was is that you want to eat foods that are on the lower glycemic index for diabetics got it but what most uh of the population doesn't know or is missing is that when we combine foods the glycemic index totally changes okay. so unless you're eating just that sweet potato then yes it's a lower glycemic index but if you're combining it with you know, you're never just going to eat a sweet potato. You're always going to have, you know, chicken, broccoli, whatever else you have, or you're having pasta, whatever food you're having. There's now a mixture of foods. So now the glycemic index goes out of the out of the ballpark. Right, right. right. So, so of course, yes, you would want to implement lower glycemic foods that have a, a slow release so that the, the body has more time mm-hmm. to, to manage the fluctuations and to normalize the blood glucose levels, ideally. But when you start to combine more foods together, then that kind of, you know, is, is shaky for you. Yeah. At the same time, like I said, it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, as long as we know what we're doing on a macro level, which right. is the continued exercise and the rest of the things that we know. Yep. Yep. You want to go? No. Um, I do. I'm just a curiosity um, just because we are from different countries. Do you, do you train any Americans? Honestly, um, <laughs> there's over 100 million Americans that are diabetic or type two or, or pre-diabetic. Right mm-hmm. now. Um, but surprisingly, I have not been able to, um, I haven't trained any Americans yet. Um, I, I, I don't know why that is. I think it's because it's just my, my, my network is mostly yeah. within people that I know. So I'm mostly, but, but yeah, I don't, it doesn't matter to me where you're from. Yeah. I just want to help. So I, 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 I trained some people in Australia. I have some clients oh, from wow. uh, Bangladesh as well. Um, and of course, I probably will be training people from America as well because they have a bigger, they, they need a, they have a bigger scope that needs yeah. help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason why I ask is it seems like some of the patients that I've interacted with, their mentality uh, seems to be, well, I have a, pill for this so there's no reason to change yep. I just take take my pills and changing is too too much 
Uh, my family's not going to want to change. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and, and take this medication and, and I'm fine. There's no reason to change. Do you find that with your clients as well? Sometimes I feel like that's maybe just more of an American mentality. I was going to say, did you mean that country to country? Is that what you meant? Yeah. yeah. I'm just curious <clears throat> if, if that's more of a, a, a broad thought process or if that's more unique to Americans. I would think that uh, I think culture does have uh, a play in a lot of things that we do on a day-to-day basis. A lot of decisions that we make, uh, the cultures that we come from makes a big difference. Like uh, I mostly um, have worked in the past with South Asians and I know the South Asian population is heavily suffering with diabetes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've noticed that what it comes down to is, is what is how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Okay. And, and you're, your relationship with yourself like i mentioned earlier is most diabetics are depressed they well i wouldn't want to name it depression but like they they don't care anymore they they've given up yeah so if you don't care because you don't love yourself or you don't have that first self-respect for yourself and your body because you haven't understood what's going on then yeah you're going to take the easiest way out which is just take a pill and forget taking a pill you won't even do something as simple as you know do something like physically active for your body something good for your body yep. so it's, it's it's not just about the pill it's about everything you have to break down what's going on in their mind what's going on in their subconscious what are some of the beliefs that they've told themselves about themselves because they don't like themselves anybody that likes themselves would do everything they possibly can to or anyone that's happy there you go Anyone that is fulfilled, anything possible to get better, to get in the position that they need to be in. And, you know, that's not their fault either. They've been, that has been a, they are a product of their environment. Scarlet letter. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're a product of their environment. Maybe it's the way that they've been brought up. Maybe it was some childhood traumas they've had. Maybe it's the friends that they're around. Maybe it's it's their spouse. You know, I have certain clients with their spouse things like, why are you doing this? You know, it's not going to work. You know, you're not going to lose weight. Yeah. And to me, that's very, like, I feel sad when Absolutely. I hear that because I'm like, wow, like, how much harder must it be for you to make a change? Yeah. Because your direct environment is not in favor of you. Yeah. So I think, I think, it, I think it's bigger than that. I think it's, again, it goes back down to the theme of the podcast, behavior change, right? Yeah. And that comes down to learning more about who you are and, and what is, why do you do the things that you do? So if there was a diabetic out there, and I know it's very difficult to give broad advice, but like if somebody says something to me, like, what's the number one tip? Like I would say caloric balance. If there was one tip for a diabetic, what, do you, what, what comes to your head? Um, really putting you on the spot. I know. Or maybe it would be easier to narrow down like where to start. Okay. Yeah. So like your first, either your first starting point or like, what do you think the most important piece is? I think where to start would be to educate yourself. Just find out what's happening to your body first. I like it. When you know what's happening with your body and you understand what's going on, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit just to kind of uh, sure. educate the audience that is, that, is, that is listening right now. Once you understand what's wrong or potentially wrong, then you can figure out a way to start getting towards fixing it, right? If mm-hmm. I tell you, oh, you need to do this, X, Y, and Z, you're like, why am I doing it? Why? Because mm-hmm. until you believe something, you won't do it. And until you don't take action towards something that you believe, you won't be able to attain and have the results that you're looking for. Yep. 
first you need to have a firm belief that, okay, this is the situation. Let's figure out how we got here. Now that we're here, we are acknowledging it. We're taking accountability for it. Now we're going to take steps towards executing actions that are going to help us achieve the goal, which is eventually to get off the medications, get into remission and live a diabetic free life. That is going to be a better life because I, I strongly believe that we all face with adversity to help us become stronger. Somebody that's diabetic is, has to do a lot more work than somebody else, but that puts them in a stronger position than somebody that is not. Yep. Right? They, maybe they will become healthier than someone that doesn't have diabetes eventually because they are so much more in tune with their bodies, their nutrition, their, their mm-hmm. exercise. And now they're going to be able to live a lot longer than someone that doesn't have that diabetes, but is living a really shitty life and yep. being bad to themselves. Right. So that's what I would say. I would say to first educate yourself. I love it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and you're right. You know, like it's, you're going to, you're going to be faced with adversity so I think the way you look at it, your perspective of it, that that flips the script, that changes the game. So mm-hmm. in the education piece, I totally agree. <clears throat> Go ahead. One thing that I wanted to mention is that Please, yeah. uh, a lot of the demonization of the industry comes from when we talk about it being the diabetic's fault is that, oh, you're lazy, so you have diabetes. Right. You're fat, that's why you got diabetes. Um, you know, you don't, you don't work out enough. You don't do any exercise. You don't move anything. So it's all your fault. But... That's not the case. We actually don't know why insulin resistance develops. We don't know. We, we have ideas. There's no source. Of, there's no affirmative reason. We don't know if insulin resistance causes obesity or and if obesity in turn causes insulin resistance. And, to, so and to, to read for anybody that doesn't know insulin sensitivity, just a quick little dirty of oh, what yeah, it is. Of course. So um, with diabetes, the, the main issue is that is insulin resistance. So this is going to be good because I can just explain your diabetes at the same okay, time. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so what we first have to understand how the normal person, a person that does not have diabetes, how their bodies work, right? So um, when we eat something, our body has to utilize the food or the energy that we're eating in a source of uh, fuel for itself to sustain itself. So when we eat something, the body has to now take the food in the form that it is and break it down so that we can use it. Now, it'll break it down into the forms that you give it. So if it's fats, it'll be broken down into fatty acids. If it's protein, it'll be broken down into amino acids. And if it's carbs, it'll be broken down into glucose, which we can use for energy. So think about glucose as batteries for your cells, right? Now, the glucose, it has to first enter the cells of our body so that the batteries can be used. If they cannot enter the cell, we cannot have any power. So we can't function. When a normal person, the ability to the glucose or the batteries to enter the cells, it needs uh, a key to open the, the lock of the cell. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy analogy. And that key is going to be insulin. So once you have, so when you eat something and you have some carbs in the system or some protein in the system, the body sends, the brain sends a signal to the pancreas, which produces insulin to release some insulin into the bloodstream so that there's a lot of keys available that can go and attach onto the cell to open them so that the glucose that's now coming in through the food can now enter the cells and then we can use it for energy, right? That is the way that a system works and our body's extremely smart. We always want to maintain a certain level of blood glucose levels in the body and it's so sensitive to that that as soon as a little bit of spike happens, the insulin is released so that the energy can go into the cells. 
And as soon as a, a low happens, we lose, we don't have enough um, glucose in the system, then the body will release glucagon that will help to release some of the sugar from the liver where it's stored as fat. And now we have energy. So the body's always trying to remain in a homeostasis where it's always trying to balance the energy and the glucose levels that are there. So that's for a regular person. So you eat, the insulin is released, it opens the cells, the, the food goes in, uh, the glucose goes inside, we have batteries, now we are charged, we can move and we can have, we can do our activities. When it comes to a diabetic, the system has some malfunctions and this develops over time. This is nothing that happens right away. It takes years, like I mentioned. What happens is that we have the key for type two diabetics. The key, the insulin is present, but the lock has some issues. The lock is being resistant to the key. It's not allowing the key to, for example, turn. And this is where the term insulin resistance comes from. The cell is resistant. It's not letting the key open itself. And the reason that develops, we're not 100% sure, but mostly it's because of inflammation and also because of abdominal obesity. That is what they are saying, but it's not affirmative. We don't know if the insulin resistance itself causes the obesity to happen, the abdominal obesity, or if because you're abdom you have abdominal obesity, you in turn develop insulin resistance. But the fact of the matter is because you can no longer open the key properly, open the cell properly, the glucose cannot, the batteries cannot get into the cell. Yep. If they can't get into the cell, you can't have power. You can't function. And yep. this is why diabetics are always tired. There you go. Mm -hmm. Because they're not able to get the batteries in the cell so they can't function. Now, that's not their fault. Yep. You can't blame them for that. That's, there's, there's something malfunctioning in the system. Yep. So what we're trying to do is once you understand that this is what's happening with the system, this is what's happening with your body, then you can now figure out, okay, how can I, how can I become less insulin resistant right. or more insulin sensitive and one of the best ways to do that is of course obviously taking every nutrition but also exercise when we exercise the body naturally opens up those keys mm. opens up the locks it's there's a there's a specific pathway called the glute 4 pathway which is naturally opened when we exercise that naturally opens up the locks on its own you don't even need the insulin so the glucose can go right in yep right um, this is also the reason why when we have too much sugar in the system and in, in the blood, then you the body tries to get rid of it. And yep. that's why diabetics have to pee a lot. And their and their and their their urine is actually sweet because there's sugar in it. Yep. Um anyways, I don't want to get into the details, but that's that's the nutshell of what is happening with the diabetic. Right. Um so insulin resistance is that resistance to the insulin coming in and attaching and being able to open the cell. And we want to decrease that. We yep. want to increase the sensitivity of insulin. Makes sense. It makes sense. And then initially you started talking off about talking off. You started talking about, um, man, I, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, but I did want to have that, uh, insulin sensitivity sort of covered before we went further. Cause you were, yeah. um, okay. So, um, uh, yes, I believe, I think we lost our chance. Thought I my bad, my bad. That was my fault, but I had, I had to get that out. You were talking about, um, Insulin sensitivity and how you remember? I am not in your head. I, I okay. That so, sounded um, like a complete thought to me. <laughs> yeah. So I think what we were talking about was um, the the whole idea you asked about the one thing for that would be to help them educate themselves about it. Right. Uh, and yes. From there, we went into the concept of um, what. Oh, yes, I remember now. Well, what I was talking about is to not blame them because there you go. we don't know yep. what the, the root cause is insulin resistance, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And we can't blame them for that because we don't know if their obesity, the abdominal obesity caused that or if insulin resistance was present before and that caused the abdominal obesity. And insulin resistance can pre- present itself through various ways. A lot of times it's chronic stress. Mm. So if you are chronically stressed over years, your cortisol levels have been elevated for too long. You also develop insulin resistance. So it doesn't always come down to, oh, you don't move enough or you don't eat healthy enough. Yeah. It can be many factors. A lot of times it's genetically dis- you're genetically disposed to it like I am. But that doesn't mean that it's like this. I, talk, I, I like to say, I like to say that if you're genetically disposed to it, if if one of your parents has diabetes, you have a 50% chance of getting it. Mm, right. If two of your parents have it, you have an 80% chance of developing it. But just because you have a chance doesn't mean that you're going to get it. It's like, you know, taking a gun, loading it with the bullets. And n- now you have a loaded gun, but it's up to you to pull the trigger. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the, the trigger that is going to be pulled is going to be the environmental aspects of it. So if you take care of yourself, you take care of your environment, you take care of your health, your nutrition, your exercise, that trigger is not getting pulled. And that's the case for me, right? So you always have that control of pulling the trigger. You don't take care of the environment. Yes, the trigger will might be a pulled. And then, yes, you may have diabetes. So there's a lot of different reasons why you might develop it. It's not as simple as, oh, you're fat and lazy. Yeah. You have it. It might be a big reason, but that might not be the only reason. So this is another reason why that was one of the bigger points that I want at home was for the listeners is that if you're a diabetic, it's not necessarily your fault but that also doesn't mean that you don't need to be accountable yeah yeah that makes sense yep i like the way you put that i like the way you put that a lot and switching gears just a little bit is there is there one thing that kind of makes you roll your eyes or is there like a is there a common misconception or like rumor that you're like "Ah, no i don't believe that is like is there one big thing yeah what is it Uh, and <laughs> this goes to th- this goes back to saying you know the whole um the marketing of it all is you know that one thing so a lot of times you know insulin is considered a you know fat storage hormone and it is it is a fat it stores your fat but i think it's demonized for that but like if your if your insulin is high your insulin is always high you're going to be storing fat at all the time so you shouldn't keep your insulin low so for a lot of diabetics, because they're also on exogenous insulin, they feel like that is a reason that they're gaining weight. But it's looking at it in a micro microscope, yep. which is true. That micro level, that micro instant, yes, you're putting on fat if your insulin is high. But when you look at a 24-hour period in the macro scale, when your insulin is not on, your that cell is also releasing the fat mm-hmm. and you're using it. So just because you're putting fat into a cell doesn't mean you're getting fatter. Right. Because going to be a time when you need the energy demand the fat will release the cell as well so yes insulin is allowing you to store fat in that instance but in a 24-hour period or in a macro level it's also going to release it eventually when it doesn't need it so you're going to be in a balance depending on your caloric intake what will always matter is your caloric intake so yes if the fat cell is released and you don't use it because you're not either expending energy or you haven't put in or you've put in too much energy to begin with then yes, you're going to store it. But if you put in less energy and you're also using it, you're going to be able to release that fat cell, utilize it, and you won't get fat. Yeah. So I think is the biggest misconception is this whole concept of insulin is the reason why you're getting fatter. Okay. It's not. It's always going to be the calorie deficit or the caloric intake, calories in versus calorie out. In that instant, in that micro level, yes, insulin will make you fatter. But just because the fat cell is getting more fat doesn't mean you're getting fat. Eventually, in that 24-hour period, when you're not eating, 
or when you're sleeping, it's also going to release the fat because now the body needs it. The energy demands are there. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. So shifting gears a little bit more, um, it's very obvious that you're passionate and extremely knowledgeable in this realm. And I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say I'm extremely knowledgeable. I don't think I know enough. A good student, a good student has never learned at all. So a good student continues to learn. Well, if that's the case, you just bullshitted your way really well through this whole podcast. <laughs> um, this is shifting gears back to you um, and what you do. What is your definition of happiness? There's no right or wrong answer. It's very specific to you. Um, I think for me, this has, this has changed in the last few months um, because I've never, I've always been stable. You know, I, I never really get too happy. I never really get too sad. Okay. I've always been a very calm and stable person. And I realized that that's not the case. I'm actually very anxious all the time, but I don't show it. Okay. I'm very calm and collected when you look at me, but inside a lot of chaos is happening. So what I realized is that I think happiness is your ability to, to be, to be able to understand, to be able to be in the moment, Okay. to be able to, it's, 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 it's kind of voodoo what I'm saying. I don't know if your audience is, is used to it. Oh, like, oh yeah, bro. They're used to it with me. It's okay. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> so like, it's the ability to, to be in the present moment and enjoy the present moment. Because if you're in the present moment, you will always enjoy it. There's no reason to mm -hmm. not because you're alive and you're here. I feel like we're always in our heads. So if, mm -hmm. we're, if we're not in the present moment, we're either thinking too much in the future or we're thinking too much in the past. And that allows us to be in a position of most, for most people, an anxiety, depending on where, mm -hmm. what you're thinking about. Yeah. So being able to come back to the present as many times as you possibly can throughout the day will always put you in a position of peace and happiness for me. And I've been doing a lot of that through a lot of uh, mindset work and meditation work recently. And that's why my, 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 my definition of happiness has, has shifted to being, being able to be present in the moment and knowing what that's like, because most people don't, don't know what that's like and they live their whole lives without ever being able to experience that. Otherwise, you know, the general, being happy you know you're just smiling or you're happy but like that's i don't really think that i think that's monitor i think that's very short-lived sure i mm -hmm. think this is something that's more powerful for me i like it and i question you the audience um you know one thing that you just said galam is that it changes Mm -hmm. And Jenna, you've always said it's okay for it to change. And I fully agree that it's totally okay for it to change as you age, as you change as a person, person, whatever. It's okay for that happiness point to change. But I'm asking you, the audience, for a second, pause us and answer that question to yourself. What is your definition of happiness? And then ask yourself, why is that your definition of happiness? And why is it evolving? You got a lot of questions. All right, press pause. Okay, you back. <laughs> Jenna what you got you got anything I think this has been it's been really honestly educational for me um even being a healthcare professional from our side of it the the education piece to our patients is like this much 100% absolutely <laughs> um and I think that's a really big missing piece to a lot of chronic medical conditions is someone to sit down and be a coach rather than a prescriber or just treating what's right in front of you and moving on. Yep. Um, I think that's really awesome that you are taking 
your focus on something that's not really well understood and has a lot of um, societal kind of impressions that aren't really accurate um, and, and trying to change that. It's awesome. When you're a thousand percent right, you know, like I damn sure learned quite a bit as well. And like I said at the top of the show, like I feel like the knowledge that we have as nurses in the healthcare realm which is, I think, viewed as the safe haven or safety point for anyone. They listen to what the doctors they listen to what the doctor says, no matter what. And I'm not demonizing doctors, but um, just because they're healthcare professionals doesn't mean they have all the answers. I truly, truly believe that you know a health coach or Galam or someone that is driven in this way to understand the why can have just as much right. of an impact, if not more. Yeah, well, because the focus of education from the healthcare system is. Take your medication. Yep. Symptoms. Yep. Let's treat the symptoms, not the cause. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been awesome, man. I, I, I could, I can, and I will. Um, <laughs> I was going to say I could, but I will be talking to you soon. And I, I can definitely see us doing another podcast without yeah. a doubt. Uh, maybe going into a different realm, uh, but I've truly enjoyed it. Is there anything else you want to say? Anything else that you needed to get out? Um, no, I, it's been a pleasure. It's, it's been, been awesome. Been- Thank you so much. Uh, and I learned a lot too. Um, even while I was speaking, I was, <laughs> I, was <learning>. so, <laughs> I didn't realize I knew that it was really yeah. good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been really, really nice. Cool. And, and, I, and I'd love to get on another podcast with you guys in a future date. Um, it's been, it's been an honor. We'll do it. Uh, guys, I want to know what you think of Galam. What do you think of this podcast? In the comments on the YouTube channel, the BTYE podcast, leave some comments. Let us know what you thought about this episode. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, do us a flavor. If you're feeling squirrely, whether it's positive or negative, leave us a review. We'd like to know what you think. We truly appreciate it. And before we go, I did want to plug, um, which again, it's going to be in the description b- below, but Galam, hit them with your information, how they can contact you, how they, how they can become a client, all of your friggin' content. This man's all over TikTok. I keep watching what you're doing. Plug it all, plug it all. Um, so um, if you'd like to get in touch with me, the best place would be to add me as a friend on Facebook because I don't have enough friends. So I'd love to have more friends on Facebook. <laughs> um, but my name is Gulam Ahmed. You can just find me with that. And uh, everywhere else, my Instagram, my YouTube channel, TikTok, all the other platforms is uh, Gene Activated. Um, G-E-N-E-A-C-T-I-V-A-T-E-D. That's two words, and that's that's about it. <laughs> and then Gulam is G-H-U-L-A-M. Is that right? Yeah, G-H-U-L-A-M-A-H-M-A-D. There it is. Well, awesome. I really appreciate you, man. I'll be talking to you soon. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the Better Than Yesterday Everyday Podcast. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to subscribe to the show as well and follow Matt Lane Fitness on YouTube. Until next time, you don't have to be perfect. Just be better than yesterday every day. Smooth, man. Team one take. It was good. Yeah. You did really, really good. I'm not surprised, but that was damn good, bro. Could Could you hear the dog snoring in the background? <laughs> I, I didn't hear anything. Oh, maybe you guys would pick that up. <laughs>